0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry, and they're snickering and tittering, and that makes this the Stuff You Should Know.
0: Yeah, we got sidetracked before talking about things that trickle. Names. Names that trickle. Yes. Like the famous race car driver, Dick Trickle.
1: Terrible, dude.
0: I swear to God, huh. look him up. I will. Don't image search. <laughs> Just look him up. <laughs> okay. Maybe I
1: should specify race car.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's a good idea. You're a Google master with your Google foo.
1: Yes. <laughs> and we, the three of us, are apparently all eight years old again. Yep. Uh, speaking of trickle, Chuck. Hey, happy birthday. Oh, be quiet. Jerry, you have a big mouth. You're always talking.
0: Well, I usually remember, but I didn't today, so happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. And this will be out several weeks later, but... (laughs) Right. I'll get to relive
1: my birthday all over again. Exactly. Uh, Thanks, man. Have you, Chuckers, ever seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off?
0: Yeah. I knew we'd go there at some point. In this one? Yeah.
1: Because of Ben Stein?
0: Yeah. Oh, okay, good. So you know the answer, then. Something D-O-O, economics.
1: Anyone? Voodoo economics? <laughs> yeah. When they're in econ class, the guy who says Bueller, Bueller, mm-hmm. that's Ben Stein. Remember he had that yeah. show win Ben Stein's money?
0: Mm-hmm. Which was really his money.
1: Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I think so. I it think was like that, a that whole was like gimmick. Like legit, yeah. I think maybe like they gave it to him if it wasn't won or came out of a salary. Who knows? Probably. Um, but before that show came on, he was in Ferris Bueller's day off as an econ professor. And I believe he does have a degree in economics. He's also just a great actor and Visine Pitchman. But what he was talking about in there. No, voodoo. he was Clear Eyes. Clear Eyes. Yeah. Thank you. Clear Eyes is awesome. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that sounded like uh, not Ben Stein. Yeah,
0: well, that was my, it's as steiny as I get.
1: Anyway, he was talking about voodoo economics and voodoo economics was another name for trickle down economics a.k.a. Reaganomics, and the person who coined the term voodoo economics, do you know? John Hughes? No.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was uh, George Bush Sr. Yeah, H.W. I remember that.
1: Yeah, he, he was running in the primaries against Reagan in, in, for the 1980 election Yeah. before he came on as his vice president, and he was deriding Reagan's economic policies, specifically his belief in trickle-down economics, yeah. as voodoo economics, because... There's some apparently some sort of magic to the whole thing that makes it work rather than sound economic principle.
0: Yeah, it, it occurred to me today when I was studying this stuff that uh, John Hughes picked this very topic mm-hmm. to represent the most boring thing you could talk about.
1: <laughs> I guess so. Yeah,
0: and uh, it took me a few times to to figure it out because you know I don't my brain doesn't skew toward understanding economics. It's, it's tough to do. Something. But I finally did. And I was like, you know what? It's not the most boring thing ever. It's uh, its pretty interesting. And I'm, if I came around, that means anyone can.
1: Now it's just our, um, uh, our burden to make it interesting to everybody else. That's right. Which we've already failed at spectacularly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so let's talk about this idea. First of all, trickle-down economics. Um, we'll explain the whole thing In detail, starting in just a moment, but we should probably say with the disclaimer, if you want to drive a fiscal conservative or a conservative economist or just a conservative in general crazy, mention trickle-down economics. Like call what they call supply-side economics trickle-down economics. Yeah. It drives them bonkers. There's like, there's no such thing as trickle down economics. It's a derisive term. It's, um, it doesn't capture the, the spirit or the thought behind supply side economics, which is what they've come around to call it. Yeah. But back in the day, it was definitely called trickle down economics. And the whole point, the reason why it was called trickle down economics is that the idea behind it is if you place wealth with the wealthiest people, this idea goes, mm-hmm. they will take that money and invest it into the economy, which will get things running again, Yeah. and as a result, that economic engine revving up will create more wealth at the top that trickles down to the lower working and middle classes.
0: Yeah, like who better to stimulate the economy than the super rich, and they will uh, like, maybe open a business to put people to work. And then those workers will benefit and, uh, directly from that investment that that person made.
1: Right. So this is the it's whole theory behind it. We should also disclaim even further that economics as a field is so far from science, it's preposterous. Yeah. Um, most economic theory that you ever will run into from John Maynard Keynes or Adam Smith or um, Jean-Baptiste Say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, These guys are talking about pure economies. Yeah. The United States, and I don't think there's any economy in the world that is a pure economy, a free market economy. The United States has things like tariffs, and um, we have things like government intervention, tax policy, monetary policy. There's intervention in the market, so you can't ever say – we can't say – really what causes recessions and what brings us out of them, or yeah. whether trickle-down economics is effective, or if it's not, or if it is effective, is it effective in the long run or the short run? And what about the opposite way? Is that effective in the long run or the short run? We don't know. People think they do, though. That is the <laughs> thing. That's why, like, this kind of stuff can get people's blood boiling. So, yeah. like, the point of this one is to just talk about trickle-down economics and the theory behind it and why it may or may not work, and... um on the caveat that we don't know, and neither do economists.
0: Yeah, I think I, I left this at a little frustrated after my research because I thought I would come away with a an answer. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you look up Reaganomics, which is another name for Reagan's version of of the supply side economics, right? You will find one hundred articles, well, more than that, but a hundred articles on how what a great success it was, and then the abject failure of Reaganomics. And no one is going to agree. I looked at some of these theories and said, well, that makes sense in an ideal world. Right. Then I look at the opposite and think, well, that makes sense in an ideal world. Right. And I don't, I don't know if you, like you said, I don't know if you can, uh, I don't know if there is an answer, even though everyone thinks that they're right. Both people can't be right, both sides.
1: No, it's true, because these are very opposite, in most cases, ideas.
0: Yeah, but what I did find was a bunch of articles after digging further that said, the the failures and successes of Reaganomics, and I think to me that's probably a little more accurate because it is in a black and white situation.
1: Well, the part of the problem is is if you point to Reagan's tax policies, right? And and Reagan is is tied to trickle down economics. Yeah, and we'll get into he, the
0: history, like right. We'll clear all this up.
1: But he's not really the first one to to implement this. No, but he's he's tied to it. But if you look at Reaganomics, the problem is this, Chuck. If if you say well the '90s were very prosperous we had the dot com boom sure um, and the the uh, we, surplus the Nasdaq yeah. hit like like a record ten thousand points at, at like in the '90s all all of that was from Reagan's policies well you can't say that that was from Reagan's policies we we don't know. We just simply don't know. Was it something short-term that the Clinton administration was doing? Or was it the long-term effects of Reagan's tax cuts?
0: Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, and we're going to get scores of email from people saying, what we do know. Right. But we don't. No. So just send your email. That's fine, but (laughs) you're wrong. Uh, Well, I guess we should go ahead and say, too, that just the name uh, trickle-down was coined by Will Rogers, famous humorist in the 1920s it is not a 1980s thing it had been around for a while right and uh, he said quote the money was all appropriated for the top in hopes that it would trickle down to the needy and that's where it started to get its uh a derogatory uh feel around that name for sure since yeah.
1: the 20s and and over time um especially since the 80s the 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 people who champion trickle down economics or this, this particular version of trickle down tax policy yeah. have tried to distance themselves from the term trickle down. Right. Because it does seem elitist and it seems like a big wealth transfer, which in fact it is. Um, it, let's, let's talk about this. Trickle down policy isn't necessarily, um, associated with Reagan's tax cuts. Right. The whole idea be- behind trickle-down, as I said already, is you take wealth and you give it to the wealthiest people. That's that's what's done. Yeah. It's a wealth transfer. And it's usually done at a time when uh, you're in an economic slump. So you're hoping to revitalize things.
0: Yeah. It's the government trying to smooth out the rough spots in the national economy.
1: But, A.K.A. recessions. Yeah. Um So you're transferring wealth. You're transferring wealth, though, on the premise that that money is going to be reinvested, reinvigorated. Right. Used to reinvigorate the economy, yep. right? So it is a wealth transfer. But with the one we're talking about today, specifically, um we're talking about Reagan's version. So it's a wealth transfer through tax cuts. Yes. Right? Yes. So when Reagan came into office, uh he took over a tax policy where the highest tax rate was like 70%. Yeah. The highest earners were paying 70% on their highest income.
0: Yeah. And he got that down to about 50. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which is still seems incredibly high today in an age where we're paying like 35%. Yeah. The highest earners are. Yeah. So the point is, is Reagan did it through tax cuts. But the, that doesn't mean, like, trickle-down economics don't, doesn't equal tax cuts necessarily. Right, right. It's trickle-down... There are different down, ways. That's, that's one way of, tr- of putting more money into the hands of the
0: wealthiest people. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, it's really a question of supply and demand, and I guess we can go back uh, through time a little bit to Jean-Baptiste Say, who you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, 19th century French economist, and his... His philosophy has been misinterpreted a lot as supply creates its own demand. Yeah. It's not exactly right. Uh, what he was really saying is products are paid for with products and money just had like a temporary function. Um, yeah, like if you are somebody
1: who produces something, when you produce that something, that yeah. item, when you go make that shoe. Yeah. And you're going to sell your shoe. Yeah. Which is the whole reason you made the shoe in the first place. Sure. And then with that money... You can go use it to buy other goods and services. Right. So the production of that shoe created a wage for you, which in turn stimulated consumption, demand yeah. from you for something else.
0: Yeah. Product is paid for with product. Uh, the misinterpretation that supply creates its own demand is is just a bastardized version, and that basically means that there would never be a failed product. Like you can just produce and produce and produce. Right, which isn't uh sound,
1: no, that's insane,
0: and I think say would have said that right. that is not true as well
1: well, he did he he did um it, during his lifetime even say like, well, no, I mean there it's possible that there is such a thing as overproduction, sure, I mean like if you think about it, like during the uh the housing market crash, Rick, yeah, it's starting a few years ago, sure, there was a glut of homes on the market and it's not like the people who were building homes just merrily went on building homes and building homes and building homes like yeah. once the demand ceased they stopped producing yeah, and well, we still had a glut on the market yeah and the ones who were still just sinking money into build like building just stopped basically yeah and it was because there was an oversupply because demand had ceased so the idea that that if you if you produce it demand will come on a short term basis is this kind of a fallacy?
0: Yeah, but in the earlier days of this country, a lot of uh, big thinkers agreed with him. Yeah, uh, like Jefferson. Um, but the tide turned later on in our country with uh, the introduction of Mister Keynes, Keynesian economics.
1: Yeah, so which we
0: talked about in our audio book.
1: Yeah, we did stuff you should know. Super stuff guide to the economy.
0: Yeah, which is probably super outdated. I wonder. But there are some. I think there's some evergreen content in there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was like an economics 101 course. Yeah, that's true. With us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but So so the basis of Say's Law is that if you stimulate um, production, yeah. then you'll get the economy going again. And it was implemented for a while, like some of the, some of the early 20th century presidents, like uh, Hoover, among others. Yeah. Like uh, Harding and Coolidge.
0: Yeah, JFK.
1: Well, JFK later, but early on yeah, yeah. in the 20th century, Harding and Coolidge both implemented um, this kind of what's called supply-side policy, tax yeah. policy, Say's Law, right? Where the, where it. if you stimulate production through uh, lowering uh, taxes at the top, and we'll we'll tell you in a second how those two are correlated, yeah, um, you can get the economy going again. Well, Hoover also followed the same policy, and under Hoover's watch, the Great Depression happened.
0: Yeah, which would cause any just regular thinking person, even if they don't understand economics, to think, hey, we're doing it wrong.
1: Right. So Roosevelt came along. That's right. Roosevelt held the opposite view, and he was very much a Keynesian. And he was operating at the same time that Keynes was writing and and working himself. And John Maynard Keynes said, no, 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 you guys have it backwards. Yeah. You don't stimulate the supply. You stimulate the demand. Then all of a sudden, if you have a housing glut, and you suddenly have people who have more money to spend, yeah. they'll take care of your housing glut, and then things can get back to normal. We reach e- equilibrium again.
0: Yeah, he was about uh, short-term ideas, short-term fixes, maybe mm-hmm. lower interest rates, uh, maybe uh, taxes, fiscal policy, taxes and spending. Basically what you hear a lot about these days, It, you know, Keynesian economics kind of Lasted a long time until probably Kennedy and then Reagan. Right. It's like there's only been a handful of US presidents who really endorse the trickle down theory. Yeah. Like, like wholeheartedly.
1: Since the 20th century. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's the, the Keynesian policies ruled, and it was very much about like cutting taxes for the lower and middle and working classes, increasing taxes for the rich because. If you're if you a government, you still need revenue, right? Sure. So you can't just cut taxes for everybody. If you cut taxes for one group, you kind of need to increase it for another because you still need your money coming in. Yeah. Of course, you could also take the radical step of figuring out how to eliminate waste and bloat in government. That would help a lot. But we're not talking about that in this one. No. We're talking about trickle-down economics. That's right. So then along comes Kennedy, who says, hey, er, uh, my dad was er, pretty rich, so I'm kind of thinking that this trickle-down thing might work. Right. So he got into supply-side economics. And then when Reagan came along, he really championed this whole idea. And it was out of a result of some guys in the 70s saying – There's this whole other thing that we've been ignoring, which is this trickle-down tax policy that we should implement. And they they got Reagan into it, and he implemented it.
0: Yeah, and uh, after this message break coming up here in a sec, we are going to talk a little bit about, if it doesn't sound like it makes sense to you, there's a certain curve that we'll explain that might clear it up for you. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about the Laffer curve, which was also in Ferris Bueller. Oh, was it? Yeah, he says Laffer Curve, but in high school I had no idea. No. I was like, what are those words together? I don't understand. Laffer was a person, L-A-F-F-E-R. And um, the Laffer Curve helps explain a little bit why trickle-down economics could possibly work. Is that a good neutral way to say that?
1: I would say so. (laughs) Uh,
0: The idea of the Laffer Curve is that uh, the relationship between taxes and revenues is a curve instead of a direct relationship. Yeah. So at a certain point, let's say you own a company making shoes mm-hmm. and you gross $10 million through like the first two financial quarters. Right. And you're taxed at, let's say, 50%. And you know, if you make any more money, then you're going to jump up into that 90% mm-hmm. tax, uh, tax category. Mm-hmm. You might slow down production. You might halt production altogether and say, you know what, I'm going to take off the rest of the year. Right. Maybe even put these people out of work for four to six months. Furlough. Furlough, and because I don't want to be taxed anymore. So if you look at that on a graph, mm-hmm. it's going to be, if you tax people 100%, they're not going to work. If you tax people 0%, you're not getting any money. So in the middle of there is the curve. Right.
1: It, it basically, Laffer's curve suggests that the correlation between, um, Tax rates and tax revenue is not totally positive. No. At some point, it starts to go back down.
0: Yeah, that's called the prohibitive range. At a certain point, people don't want to be taxed in that range.
1: Yeah, and it's not even necessarily that they are not working any longer because they resent being taxed. Yeah. What Laffer was pointing out is that there is this prohibitive range, and within the prohibitive range, um, you remove the incentive to work theoretically. Right. Where, um, and Jay McGrath, who wrote this, uh, to, gave a pretty good, um, example where it's like if you make that money, yeah, and you are taxed 50%, that's tolerable. You're still going to make, you still get to keep 50% for yourself. Right. But when you're taxed in that 90th percentile, uh, you're, let's say you were going to make another million dollars you have to give nine hundred thousand of it to the government and you just get to keep a hundred thousand. Well you might decide to just go and spend the rest of the year at your beach house yeah. with the money that you did make, not because you resent being taxed, but because it's just not worth it to yeah. to exert that effort to make that next million dollars when you just get to keep a hundred thousand of it. So at that point in that prohibitive range, the tax policy is effectively Keeping people from working, inducing them to not work any longer, yeah. which is bad for an economy.
0: And that's if your if your work if your income is directly related to your work,
1: right? But, you could conceivably, if you owned a factory or something, yeah. and you didn't have to really exert any problems, yeah. and you could still make payroll and all of that stuff. Yeah, it might be worth it to just leave it to these other people to make that extra hundred thousand dollars for you.
0: Yeah. It,
1: rather than go off to the beach house, but if you your effort directly, yeah, um, is taxed, then yes, it would become a, a disincentive toward work. Yeah, conceivably, we should point out, Chuck, and Jane didn't do a very good job of doing that in this in this article. Laffer's curve is a, a thought experiment. Right, it's not based on data. Right, it's not um, a hard and fast rule or a law. It's yeah. basically an intuitive idea of tax rates and their effect on tax revenue.
0: Yeah, but if you don't even have to be a business owner, let's say you're just a regular employee that makes a salary, mm-hmm. you have a salary sweet spot as well. Yeah. You know, if you, it's great to get promotions and to get raises, but if you're really climbing the ladder, at a certain point you might think, "Man, I got a big raise and I'm making barely any more money than I made before this big promotion right. because I've been kicked into a higher tax bracket." So that's the prohibitive range and it you know can apply to you. I mean, you can't you don't stop working. No, but you may
1: say, "I, but, yeah. I don't actually want that promotion because exactly. it's going to be more responsibility and really not much more money, so right. I'm going to hang out right here rather than keep going."
0: Yeah, in my little 20% range or whatever it is.
1: Right. So that's Laffer's curve. Yes. And that's a it's a kind of the basis of trickle-down tax policy. It's the idea that, okay, there is a point where you can tax too much, and now you're actually slowing down the economy. So based on Laffer's Curve, when you're looking at it through, um, through trickle-down policy, yeah. there's a point then that's that, like you said, there's a sweet spot as far as tax revenue goes. Yeah. And it creates this seeming paradox where if you cut – Tax rates at a certain point, yeah. you'll actually increase tax revenue.
0: Yeah. Uh, because
1: people will be incentivized to work more right. throughout the year. Yeah. And the other basis of trickle down theory is that you are going to put more money or keep more money with the people at the wealthiest people yeah. who, under this idea, are more likely to um, invest it.
0: Right. Back into the economy.
1: Right. And when they do that, supposedly, allegedly, the economy uh, booms.
0: Yeah. What you can't account for is just the single person. This is looked at in the broadest terms because Mm -hmm. somebody could make all their money and just sit on it in the bank, uh, which isn't reinvesting it.
1: That is a really, really, really big point. Yeah. You'll remember back at the beginning of this recession, the Fed was doing everything it could to cheapen lending. Yeah. Yeah. And still has been. And uh, it didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, Lending still dried up. Come on, Like, you have to take into account things like um, insecurity. Yeah. Fear. Um, the, just being, being human. It, yes, being yeah. human. Like, we're not necessarily rationally maximizing actors, humans are. Like, there is such a thing as fear and uh, the idea that maybe hoarding money is best. So... What's possible, then, if you follow this trickle-down tax policy, is you're taking money from everybody else and giving it to the rich, or if your head just spun because you're a fiscal conservative, what you're doing is allowing the rich to keep more of their income, but they're not doing anything with it. Right. At least as a short-term fix, that's not a good idea, because you can probably bet that eventually the rich... Are going to take that money and invest it back in the economy, but it's to not make necessarily more money. yes. Yeah. But when's that going to happen? You can't really say. And right. part of the other problem with it is is that y- you are then also basically handing money out at a fire sale. You're saying, "Hey, here's a bunch of money. Invest it back in the economy." And have we mentioned the bargain basement rates you can get right. on all of these businesses over <laughs> here because the economy's in a
0: recession. Yeah. It's so, like an infomercial.
1: Yeah, very much. So, you yeah. know, and it's it's like it is literally a wealth transfer and under some circumstances, like the recession that we're still coming out of now, yeah. it is a wealth transfer and an asset transfer. In yeah. that the the people who have the most money, the wealthy also have the most buying power, and they have the best bargains.
0: Yeah, Thomas Sowell is a is an economist, and he um, he won't call it trickle down economics because he thinks it literally benefits the workers immediately and first. Because in the idealized version, they're going to reinvest, and the very first thing that's going to happen is they're going to put people to work, and people are going to have jobs. Uh, so, yeah, you he, he won't – he's not going to call it trickle-down theory because he thinks it works literally the opposite way.
1: No, he, I read a column in the National Review by him, and he's like, you'll never find a, a legitimate economist, um, a history of economic theories and policies and analysis. You'll never find trickle-down economics anywhere. Yeah. Like it drives him crazy that people call it that because it has such a, um, a negative association, an elitist – Wealthy sure. association.
0: Yeah, and you know when you, if you're during election time or during, uh, if you see these big tax cuts for the wealthy, if it makes your blood boil because you think these people are obviously in the hip pocket of the politician, that may be true, but you can still remove yourself from that and look at the theory itself, and does it work or does it not?
1: And we will do that uh, after this message. Stuff you should So Chuck, let's let's do just that um, passionless <laughs> rundown of wh- how a trickle down supply side tax policy works.
0: Yeah, I mean it's got to be passionless with me because I have no idea. I like <laughs> I'm, I can't argue hard for any side. Yeah, because I read so many articles disputing one another completely. Yeah. that I have no idea.
1: So okay, so you're, we're in a recession.
0: Yeah, and
1: there is a discussion. Is it supply or demand that you want to stimulate? Well, with supply-side economics, trickle-down is what you call it in the vernacular. Sure. Uh, You want to stimulate the supply. Yeah. Because under this belief, if you stimulate the supply, the the people who are producing stuff will have stuff for sale, and people will buy it. And more money will enter the economy, and things will get back to normal. Yes. Because the the basis of this is that people still work during recessions, and since they're working, they have money to buy things. Not everybody's working, but you can handle the idea that not everybody's working by getting production going again, because that creates jobs. Yeah. And that, in turn, generates even more income. That okay? was passionless. So how do you do that? Well done. According to trickle-down supply-side tax policy, you cut the tax rates of the wealthiest people. You incentivize them to keep working harder and harder because they get to keep more and more of it themselves on the hope that rather than keeping it themselves, hoarding, they will inject it into the economy through things like investing expanding their businesses, yeah. hiring more people, opening new businesses, and taking that investment and making more money themselves. yeah. But in the meantime, spreading the wealth around through things like wages and tax revenues. Through minimum wages. <laughs> right. So that is supply-side tax policy. Uh-huh. And whether it works or not, the jury's still out. I did find uh, something from... Um, FairEconomy.org, dot org, which I have to say I don't know whether they're nonpartisan or liberal. They definitely didn't strike me as conservative, but um, so take it however you want. But they took the um, tax rates, yeah, the top tax rate and its changes from nineteen fifty four to two thousand two, and they took the changes to that tops ta- top tax rate, yeah, the highest tier, yeah. Which is the one you're supposed to cut under this, this type of tax policy. And they, um, juxtaposed it against four different economic indicators. Growth in the gross domestic product, which is kind of like the indicator of the overall health of the economy. Uh, income growth rate, which is, you know, how the average American's wealth grows. Yeah. Um, I think changes to unemployment and the growth of the hourly wage. And they found that the correlation was basically statistically non-existent. Yeah. That when you lower tax rates or raise tax rates, but specifically in this case, when you lower the highest tax rate, yeah. it does nothing to improve the GDP, to improve hourly wages, to improve median wealth. Um it just, just statistically speaking, over the course of the 1954 to 2002, yeah, lowering the tax rates did nothing for those things. Yeah. So speaking from that end, you can say, well, it doesn't really do anything.
0: Yeah. Well, with with Reaganomics, I think. Well, again, I say most people agree, but no one agrees. Uh, it did help inflation, if he was. It was because of his policies but tax revenues didn't see much change at all under those policies. Uh we're not even getting into you know the part of Reaganomics where he kind of shut down trade with a lot of countries. Yeah. Keep it in house. Right. and the effect that had. And I I've gotten varying answers on how long after a presidency can you even look back in with a good judgment. Right. Um, of like the policies really take effect 10 years later is when you're going to see. Or no, it's more like 20 years. Or no, you can see it immediately with short-term fixes. Right. So it's, the whole thing is very frustrating because yeah. no one agrees. Everyone thinks they're right.
1: Yeah, that's the frustrating part is everybody thinks they're right.
0: Like Obama's policies are almost virtually the exact opposite of Reagan's.
1: Well, that's funny you say that because that's not necessarily true.
0: He, in a lot of ways they are.
1: Well, he, in that he kept the Bush era tax cuts going, he's actually kept lower um, tax rates than Reagan did, and uh, Reagan's always pegged with the trickle-down economic theory, right? Yeah. Obama's got this other one going. It's called quantitative easing. Yeah. So with Reagan, it was trickle-down tax policy. Under Obama, it's trickle-down monetary policy. And by pumping money into the markets through the Fed- It's actually helping because of this income inequality. It's helping the wealthiest Americans by far without anything trickling down really to the um, lower working and middle class Americans. So trickle down policy doesn't necessarily just mean tax policy. It can also mean monetary policy. And we've got a um, very specific trickle-down policy being carried out under Obama's entire two terms so yeah. far through quantitative easing. Either way, there's a vast transfer of wealth going on right now just as there was in the 80s.
0: Yeah, I'd suggest people read up on their own if they uh, want to jump in this argument.
1: This one kind of also, once you really start looking into it, especially if you go beyond like what helps yeah. and really st- step back and Look at what's being done yeah. and the effects of it. Forget, you know. Well, m- my idea is the best way to to cure a recession theoretically. Like if you if you just get out of that mindset and you look at economic policies and you look at them through uh, the lens of income inequality, yeah. Uh, then suddenly conservative and liberal and and Democrat and Republican all just kind of fade away. Yeah. And basically everybody has reason to feel like they're being talked out of something very valuable. Yeah. I came up with an idea. I'm sure I'm not the first person to come up with it. Uh-oh. Joshonomics? I wonder <laughs> if if you did cut down on the tax rates for the wealthy mm-hmm. to to about where they are now. Uh, this This is like bargain basement tax rates, frankly. 35%. It used to be at 90% in the 60s. Yeah. ninety was the highest. Now it's thirty-five. Well, and it was much of the world
0: percent under Reagan. Yeah, much of the world pays a lot more taxes than we do. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: So thirty-five percent, I think, is fair for everybody, uh, you, you, uh, to say the least, if not unfair because it's so low. Right. But let's say that it's fair. Uh, you keep the tax rates low on the wealthiest earners, and you let them build up as much money as they want in their lifetime. Okay. But when they die. You tax their estate like there is no tomorrow. Yeah. And I wonder, first of all, uh-huh. you increase revenue. Sure. But you also prevent dynasties. Uh, you want to prevent dynasties? Sure. I read an article about how um, the those who inherit wealth tend to invest it less. They tend to hoard it more because they didn't yeah. have any means of accumulating wealth other than a windfall. I think if you just look at it statistically speaking – And you look at – rather than, again, on an individual basis, if you look overall, when wealth is inherited rather than earned, the inherited wealth is less often invested in ways like um, that create new jobs than the wealth that's earned. And it's the same thing. Like if you won the lottery or something like that. You should be terrified of losing that money because you didn't do anything to earn it. So there's no guarantee whatsoever that you will ever earn that money or have that money again once you spend it. If you amass a fortune in industry and lose it, you did it once, there's a likelihood that you could go do it again.
0: Yeah. So you're more likely to take more risks with that wealth. But people work to take care of their families for generations to come. Like that's what their goal is. Right. So let's say you have a hundred million dollar estate.
1: Okay. Okay. And you have uh, one kid, and your estate is taxed at 90% when you die. Okay. Your kid still gets $10 million. If your kid yeah. inherited $10 million, yeah. you're a wealthy person, and your kid inherits $10 million, I think you can get your um, eternal rest easy, knowing that your kid's going to be okay with the $10 million bucks for the rest of his or her life. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's enough to set them up in business for sure. That's enough of a leg up that most people don't have.
0: I. Uh, that's fine. You don't have to agree with me. I'm yeah, just, I'm I think saying- it's. I think it's a, like when I hear about uh, Bill Gates is only going to leave his kids so much money, or whoever was it—Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or someone.
1: They both are. They pledged like a significant amount of their their estates,
0: right? To not to get leave it, just leave that to their children. I think that's that's great, but I think that's like should be a person's choice, and the government shouldn't make that decision for them. Like government making decisions like that just that makes my blood boil. But that's tax policy, man.
1: Like they can make that decision while you are alive or yeah. when you die. It's still their, your income being taxed. In yeah. either way, it's like are they taxing your inheritance before
0: your death, or well, but. It- it isn't tax policy cuz joshonomics isn't
1: no but the very fact that there are taxes and that yeah. it's progressive means that the wealthiest people pay more the more you earn the more tax you pay yeah so why does it matter whether it's now or when it's when you die and i i, I that's not an entirely that's a kind of a glib interpretation because i realize what i'm saying is normal taxes now and then a heavy tax when you die right to prevent dynasties and to increase revenue I just don't think it'll disincentivize work because I think, I think it could while if... you're alive you still want to make money people those the people who are dedicated to amassing hundreds of millions or billions of dollars yeah that's not going to prevent them from making money while they're alive it's not you don't think they're still alive and their kids still get a slice of the pie
0: right but what about their kids' kids and their kids' kids?
1: Well, then it's up to their kid to go out and through his own effort or her own effort yeah. amass their own fortune, just like everybody else's. Everybody gets to start at zero, although those rich kids still get that leg up of 10% of yeah. the estate. It's, it's just my idea. I got you. Joshonomics. Joshonomics. Man, we were going to get some letters for that one.
0: <laughs> uh, you got anything else? Uh, and, hey, let me say that, like, I think people should be able to live much more meagerly than they do. I'm not a proponent of people leading these lavish, wasteful lifestyles. Mm-hmm. But I think if, you know, you've made your money in a legitimate way, then it's your right to do so, I guess. You know? Yeah. I wouldn't want some government putting their hand in my pocket and saying, hey, you worked really hard for all that. Give me 90 percent of it.
1: Well, I mean, who does? No- nobody wants that. Yeah especially when you when you look at government wastefulness or if you don't want to fund war or something like that like then it makes it even harder to bite.
0: Yeah, the whole thing makes me want to drop out and move to an island or some place in the woods very quiet. Okay. To where I don't have to even think about any of this stuff. I well, got my little garden. I got my chickens and my goats. You need to go make some money so you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want just a little nine-bedroom house <laughs> in on like 120 acres. With the staff. Yeah. Uh,
1: all right. Are we done with this? We're done with trickle-down economics. Uh, if you want to learn more about it, you can read this article on howstuffworks.com. Just uh, type trickle-down economics into the search bar. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail.
0: Uh, I'm going to call this one, The Waiting is the Hardest Part. <laughs> uh, hey guys, just found your podcast a few months ago, and I love it. Um, the reason I'm thanking you is because I have a bit of a worrying problem. I just sent out my application to dental school, and now I'm playing the waiting game. Uh, through my waiting, I always find myself worrying and wondering what could happen, even though I know it's not the best thing for me. Through my long days at work this summer, listening to you guys really helps me uh, not only take my mind off the process, but... Helps take the bite off my worrying mind and even makes me laugh out loud while people look at me like I'm on crack. <laughs> Which, by the way, I know all about through your crack podcast. That was a good one. Um, so thanks for what you do. You're informative and uh, your humorous podcast makes my day easier. helps me through the waiting game and teaches me so much about what I do not know. Uh, by the way, I know it's a long shot, but if by any chance you read this on listener mail, please give a shout out to my fiance, Elizabeth. We have less than a year before our big day. Ooh. And uh, that is from Caleb Davis in Decatur, uh, I.N. Is that Indiana? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, Caleb, <laughs> I was just making sure there wasn't some new state I didn't know about. Yeah, uh, Indahoe. Yes. Um, so, Caleb and Elizabeth from Indahoe, <laughs> congratulations. And, Caleb, I hope you get into uh, dental school, my friend. Uh, follow up with us. Does not Caleb write us frequently? Is that the Caleb I'm thinking of? No, that is not. Oh, okay. You're thinking of the Caleb that won our contest and had lunch with us. Is that the same Caleb that writes us sometimes? Follows us on Twitter? Yeah, I think so. Oh, oh well, hey. what's his, Well, we won't say his last name. I don't remember.
1: Well, at any rate, thanks to all the Caleb's out there who listen. <laughs> we appreciate you all. Right. Uh, if you're named Caleb, or even if you're not, and you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash stuff you should know you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com and join us at our home on the web thebeautifulstuffyoushouldknow.com
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com